up, everyone? Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I am your host, Zach Guggenheim, and we are here for the Heisman reaction. We're going to talk a little bit about the coaching carousel, and we'll give you some program notes because it's bowl season. And for those of you listening, you might wonder what the what is going on with the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast? When are they going to update? Is it going to be twice a week like before? Is Zach going to go on vacation again for like the rest of the year? What's going on? I'm going to give you some, some updates preview for the holiday season. And I'm give you, give you a few other notes, make sure to like, and follow us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure. Cause we got some fun content coming up both during bowl season, during the holidays, and also during the off season. I'm excited to, to do some off season stuff. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to talk about, I think, what was obvious uh, earlier this season, or what was obvious earlier on Saturday, which was the Heisman vote. To nobody's surprise, Bryce Young won the Heisman. He, he won in a landslide. Uh, there were 800, I think 870 uh, votes. No, it was... Uh, Sorry, 928 votes. There's 870 media members, 57 Heisman winners, and one vote from the fans. And I think if if I'm doing my math right, and I'm probably not, but I'm pretty sure there were two votes that didn't have Bryce Young in their top three. And those two members of the media or coaches or Heisman people, whoever, whoever did their Heisman, their vote should be revoked immediately. I don't know. And, you know, I say this as a big 10 guy, as an Ohio state guy, if you didn't have Bryce young in your top three, you need your Heisman vote removed. He was sensational. He is arguably the main reason why Alabama is in the college football playoff because they, you know, they struggled against Auburn. They struggled against, against LSU. They struggled, you know, they needed him to play well when the lights were bright to get there. And he is arguably the best player on the number one team in the country. And to not have him in your top three, I don't know who those two people are. They, they should lose their vote. Sorry, they just should. So Bryce Young, obvious winner. Good, He's a good dude. I really like Bryce Young. Uh, I don't like that he plays for Alabama, but he, he's a good dude. He's a great player. Uh, it's a well-deserved reward. Uh, I want to talk about real quick. A lot of people were wondering why his teammate, Will Anderson, wasn't invited to New York. Wondering why Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan was. If you look at their stats, Will Anderson's stats blow Aiden Hutchinson's statistics out of the water. So why is he not invited to New York? Well, one, most Heisman voters, I hate to say it, are dumb. And I, I say that, I probably shouldn't say that they're dumb. That's mean. They're limited. I'll, I'll say that they're limited in their scope. And, and here's what I mean. You, when you look at Heisman voters and what they're looking for, you're look, they're looking for guys who have big moments on big stages, and they're looking for guys who, who improve their team dramatically. 
And so Will Anderson has been great all year for Alabama. But what do you see on the highlight uh, on the highlight reels? You see 80-yard bombs from uh, Bryce Young to Jamison Williams. You see big-time runs that clinch games by Bryce Young. And as, as good as Will Anderson has been, and he has been absolutely sensational, he's probably the best defensive player in the country, I can understand why Hutchinson is invited and not Will Anderson because you know who ruled the day the week before on the big stage? It was Aiden Hutchinson owning Ohio State's offensive tackles. And so he had the big stage, whereas Will Anderson has been overshadowed by his quarterback. And so do I think Will Anderson should have been invited to New York? Absolutely. Should he probably have been in the top three? Probably. But the reason why he wasn't invited and Aiden Hutchinson was is Aiden Hutchinson is Michigan's MVP. Bryce Young is obviously Alabama's MVP. So that's why Will Anderson finished fifth. He's going to clean up on the, on, on the award circuit. So I, I don't think it's, I think he did clean up on the award circuit. I, I have, I need to look back up who won what awards. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, he deserved to uh, – he, he should have been there, but can understand why he's not. Aiden Hutchinson was second. I was a little surprised by that, to be honest, just because he's a defensive player. Uh, not saying he didn't deserve that uh, to, to be second. To be fair, it was, it was really Bryce Young and everybody else. The, the thing that really surprised me was – just the separation between Kenny Pickett and CJ Stroud. So Kenny Pickett from Pitt was third. He, he had 631 points, 28 first place votes. CJ Stroud only had 12 first place votes. He only had 399 points. I mean, they were separated by nearly 250 points. Uh, and that surprise, in fact, you can make an argument that Will Anderson should have been invited if CJ Stroud was invited because they were only separated by 74 points. And Will Anderson had more first place votes than either CJ Stroud or Kenny Pickett. It, they just had more second and third place votes, but I'm surprised by that separation. Kenny Pickett was really good. I'm not saying Pickett shouldn't have been ahead of Stroud. I'm just surprised because he plays for a lesser program in Pitt didn't have as many big moments I thought as CJ Stroud did, but I could see because Pickett won the ACC, he won their conference championship. Uh, you know, there's that highlight of the fake slide. I can, I can see it. I just was surprised that Pickett was third uh, that and CJ Stroud was fourth, especially because Stroud had a lot of momentum up until the Michigan game. So a little surprised by that. Probably my, my only other surprise I, I thought the top 10 made, made sense. Kind of, I'm, I'm a little surprised that Brees Hall was anywhere. Well, he, he had 17 points overall. Uh, I'm surprised he got those 17 points because honestly, I, I didn't think he had a great year, um, especially compared to the hype and, and seeing how his team did. Uh, they didn't have a great record. Iowa state didn't have a great record. So I was a little bit surprised by that, but I was honestly more surprised 
at how low Desmond Ritter was. He's the quarterback for Cincinnati. Seeing how they dominated in the second half of the season, and they dominated, dominated some decent group of five teams, SMU, Houston, and he was a big part of that. Uh, he was eighth. He had five first-place votes. He had 81 points overall. He was behind Matt Corral, Kenneth Walker, and then the other five that I mentioned earlier, Will Anderson, Stroud, Pickett, Hutchinson, and Young. I'm surprised that he's that low because, one, I thought because he's a group of five guy, he garner more sympathy. But I also thought, you know, he's playing for an undefeated team in the playoff that has surpassed all expectations. They beat a really good Notre Dame team, and he was pretty he was pretty instrumental in that. So I'm surprised at how low he was. I probably would have if I had a Heisman vote. And obviously I don't, I, I would have, you know, Bryce Young would have been one. I probably would have put Desmond Ritter two and maybe Hutchinson three or Anderson three or Walker three. I'm not sure who I would have put in the threes, but honestly, after Young, it's hard, but I, I think I probably would have put Ritter second just because of the way that he's handled the pressure. And I know he didn't play a great schedule, but to withstand the pressure to stay undefeated after every week, everybody's saying, Oh, you're going to go, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're, you're going to blow it. And they didn't, there's a lot of pressure there and they're the only undefeated team in college in major college football. So I'm surprised, but I don't think again, Bryce young was clearly the Heisman favorite. He should have been the Heisman. He, he was the Heisman winner. He should have been the Heisman winner. Congratulations to Bryce Young. Uh, I'm excited to dive into matchups uh, in the future. That Cincinnati-Alabama matchup is going to be a fun one. I, I'll just say this. I think on paper, because of the names of the programs, you'd think Alabama is probably going to win by four or five touchdowns. I'm not so sure that's going to be the case. Um, so that's my little teaser for later on before the, uh, the New Year's Six games. One other thing, and I just want to address it because it is Big Ten related. There's been a, a bit of Twitter angst. Like, there's always angst on Twitter. A, a bit of Twitter angst uh, from the Heisman presentation because – you know, they were interviewing Aiden Hutchinson and talked about his goals of beating Ohio State, get winning a Big Ten championship. And Desmond Howard, you know, threw some fuel on the fire while C.J. Stroud was up there with them. And I think the comment that he made was, yeah, and Aiden Hutchinson uh, just dominated those offensive tackles for Ohio State. And a lot of people got angsty about it. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if I feel all that angsty. Desmond Howard is right. Once he's like a broken clock. He's right twice a day. So good for him. He can gloat for the first time in 10 years. Good job. Des. If you're not familiar, Desmond Howard is a former Michigan Wolverine. He won the Heisman 30 years ago, which is about the last time he was relevant. The thing that, that happened though. So, a former Ohio State coach, infamously uh, Zach Zach Smith, who was let go after some allegations of uh, domestic abuse, 
which obviously is very serious. Uh, he got onto Twitter and he probably shouldn't have. And he went after Desmond Howard for saying the comments that he did and weren't exactly the most helpful. But then Desmond clapped back and, I mean, said some pretty, some low blows back to Zach Smith. And I'm just going to point this out. Ohio State fans will, you know, defend Zach Smith because he's making fun of Michigan, a Michigan guy. Michigan fans have been defending Desmond Howard and, and trying to throw shade on Zach Smith because you can say it's just or not just. Let me just put, put this out there. Both were wrong. And the fact that Desmond Howard is trying to defend himself, it, it doesn't, it's not a good look. Zach Smith shouldn't have said what he should have said. He should have shut his mouth. Twitter, Twitter is a love, I have a love-hate relationship with Twitter because I think there's some really good and fun things to do with it. But man, sometimes, and I think it's in, I forget where it is in the Proverbs, but it, it, it talks about, it is better for people to think that you're a fool than for you to open your mouth and to remove all doubt. Quite honestly, both of them removed all doubt for me. They're both fools. And I say that not as a judgment on them, but that their comments to each other on Twitter is very foolish. It was some good natured rivalry ribbing. And, you know, Ohio State fans, you know, for you guys upset at Desmond Howard, Desmond Howard's done worse things. He sang Hail to the Victors on, on top of the horseshoe. Uh, I was there for that, and I was ticked off. And they ended up losing that game. It was when Ohio State played Texas. You know, okay, fine. Whatever. Like, Desmond Howard gets to celebrate the first win in 10 years. Cool. You know, Michigan fans, at Zach Smith, chill, right? Like, He's he's firing on a Twitter on a Twitter Twitter message board. You don't need to respond. Like it's it, there are things that make the rivalry fun. This is not one of them. Like good-natured ribbing is one thing. Uh some of the stuff that's going on Twitter and some of the things that are being said is it's it's inappropriate, it's foolish. And these are two men who are I, I think at least 40 and 51 respectively. Like man, grow up and be, be better, uh, be, be role models. That's, that's not, so just wanted to get that off my chest. I, it, it's one of the ugly things about sports and sports media is everybody that has a Twitter thinks that they can say whatever they want when they want and that it's okay. And I, like, I, even just as a podcaster, I have to be careful because, you know, even earlier I, I, I said, media writers are dumb. And I'm like, I can't, I can't actually say that. That's not okay. That's, that's unhelpful. And so I just, I, I want to point that out that this whole thing has come out because two people decided to say foolish things that are really, really honestly can do a lot of damage in the long run. And so we're going to take a quick break. That, that's my take on the Heisman. I'm going to come back. We're going to talk about the coaching carousel and I'm going to give you just a heads up on what we're going to be doing for the holiday season. So we'll be back in a minute on the Big Ten Football Talk podcast. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Big Ten Football Talk podcast. I know I talked a little bit about some of the new hires. I think the coaching carousel is starting to come to a stop, at least I think it is. Um, I'm going to, again, I'm not going to get to all of them, but I I will get to more of them this time around. I'll also kind of circle back to a couple that I mentioned on the previous podcast, but let's, I'm just going to start with a couple of defensive coordinator hires in the big 10 that I think are, are just fantastic hires. Penn state uh, lost Brent Pry. Brent Pry went to Virginia tech and I'll talk about that hire in a minute, but they got Manny Diaz who, who was just fired from the university of Miami. Uh, he was the head coach there. Manny Diaz is now the defensive coordinator. I think it's a it's a slam dunk hire for them. I think Manny Diaz will bring some Florida connections for recruiting. He's a very good defensive mind. Uh, it it adds some more flash to that program. So I I think that's a really good hire for Penn State. The other one is Ohio State hired Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State. I think it's a good hire. He, I mean, Oklahoma State's defense has improved every year. They were the third best defense overall in the country, just behind Georgia and Wisconsin. My one, my one concern is a lot of people talk about how he, they play good defense in the Big 12. My one concern is that in the Big 12, you didn't actually have a lot of good offensive teams this year. And so they were number three in the country. But if you look at all the offensive, all the offenses in the big 12, there weren't many good ones. Like Oklahoma wasn't very good this year offensively. Um, Baylor was okay. Texas tech was okay. Now, granted Oklahoma state played really, really good defense and they held teams way below their averages, but yeah, I just, sometimes, you know, you see good defense and then they play a team like Alabama or they play a team like Ohio state. And they're exposed and you're like, oh, they're not actually that good. So for years, you know, Michigan's former defensive coordinator, Don Brown, he's a defensive genius. And then they line up against Ohio State and give up 50 or 60. So I, I think he's a good defensive coordinator. He's, he's obviously going to be uh, working with better talent. But can he recruit? That's my other question, because at Oklahoma State, you know, he was working with three-star guys. Can he recruit elite-level talent? Uh, at Ohio state, Manny Diaz can, can recruit. I'm not so sure that Jim Knowles can, but he's Jim Knowles is, I think he's a great, he's a really good coach. The recruiting piece to me is, is a question, but um, I'm going to go to, I think probably the most recent head coaching hire, Dan Lanning, the Georgia defensive coordinator is in for Mario Cristobal at Oregon. I, I think that is a great hire. Now, he's not a proven head coach. He's a, he's a defensive coordinator. But 
he, I, I think obviously he's recruited really well at Georgia. I mean, you look at the the guys on defense that he's recruited. It's, it's five-star guy after five-star guy after five-star guy. And Oregon is a national brand. That, that's kind of how they've been. So he's a great recruiter. I think he'll, he'll really help with the talent gap in the Pac-12. I think he'll bring a brand of toughness. You know, Georgia's defense, aside from the Alabama game, they're a tough, physical group. So I think that's a really good hire for the Ducks. It's a risky hire. Right. Like they could have gone back to the well and gone back to Chip Kelly. They could have they could have tried to get someone more proven. But I, I think it's a good hire for the Ducks. I think Dan Lanning's going to do a good job there. So really good hire, I think, for them. Uh, next is Duke. Duke hired Mike Elko, the Texas A&M defensive coordinator. Uh, interestingly enough, I was talking with uh, my friend Chris Ebersole, who uh, who's a Penn State fan uh follows penn state recruiting a lot and one thing he said about mike elko is he wanted him as a, as a defensive coordinator for, at penn state because he kept beating penn state for high level recruits so again mike mike elko is a really really good recruiter he's a really good defensive mind the aggies defense has been really really good however is he going to be able to manage the academic standards at Duke, you know, can he recruit to a place where, you know, it's a similar to Northwestern, similar to Stanford. Can he recruit the caliber of athlete that he's accustomed to uh, at a place like Duke? So I don't know. I'm not sure it's a, the greatest hire in the world, um, but he's at least a, a good recruiter and he has a good, uh, good mind for defense. So that is a good thing. Never been a head coach. We'll see what happens at Duke. Virginia hired Clemson's offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, uh, replacing Bronco Mendenhall. Man, I, I think it's a, it's a really good hire. It's, it's obviously in the conference. I think UVA has access to, to talented players, you know, obviously in Virginia, you still have the, have to deal with, some of the academic requirements. UVA is a really, really good academically rigorous school. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I'm more concerned about Clemson. You know, Tony Elliott has, he's been a hot name. I think that's a great, it's a great hire for UVA. I'll just stop for a minute. What Clemson is in a dumpster fire right now. They lost their offensive coordinator to UVA. They lost, Brent Venables to Oklahoma, which we'll talk about in a minute. But that that's, I mean, that's just going to be tough for the Tigers to, to really, uh, to overcome. I, I think, I mean, Dabo has been doing this for a while, but part of what's made the Tigers so good has been stability and stability. You know, Brent Venables has been there forever. Tony Elliott was there forever. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just very, very curious about Clemson and what happens to them with losing both Tony Elliott and Brad Venables. It's a great hire for UVA. Tony Elliott knows the recruiting territory. He does, you know, Virginia is only two states removed from South Carolina in the ACC. He doesn't have to face Clemson every year. And so I really like the hire for UVA. I think it's a, it's a good fit for him. 
Um, let's look here. Mario, I'll talk about Mario Cristobal for, uh, there's a couple other hires here that, that I'm not going to get into Mario Cristobal coming from Oregon to Miami. When I first heard about the hire, I was shocked because I, it, it feels like a demotion. It feels like an absolute demotion. So huge win for Miami. But what is Mario Cristobal doing? Um, now, I, if I remember correctly, let me look this up. Uh, let me look this up. I'm pretty sure Mario Cristobal graduated from Miami. So he's he has the pedigree um, to... To, he knows Miami. Yeah, he played at Miami and he was a graduate assistant at Miami. So he knows the culture. Pretty sure he won a national championship as a player. In fact, I'm pretty sure if I do my math right, he played uh, at Miami when Dwayne The Rock Johnson was also on the squad. So I think they won a national championship in 1991 uh, when he was a player. So he knows the culture. He knows the culture of when they won. I think that's a little different than kind of the previous guys, right? You had uh, Randy Shannon, you had Al Golden, you had uh, Mark Richt, and those guys, you know, good coaches. In in a in they they were successful in other places, but I don't think they understood the culture. I think Mario Cristobal knows the culture, and he is really I, I think he's after Miami to start investing more resources into the program and you can tell that because they they had to pay I think eight million dollars to buy out Manny Diaz they had to pay Mario Cristobal's buyout at Oregon plus they offered him I think a nine million dollar a year contract so that tells you that Miami wants to invest in his football program question is, are they going to invest in assistance? Are they going to invest in infrastructure and all those things? But I, I think it's a good hire. I'm just, I'm kind of surprised that Mario Cristobal decided to leave Oregon because quite honestly, and I know he got smacked by Utah, but Oregon doesn't have many challengers in the Pac-12. And Miami not only does Miami have challenges in their own conference, they have challenges in their own state in terms of recruiting. Like you have Florida, you have Florida State. You know, if UCF or USF or any of those teams are good, you start to lose them there. And then, you know, they're pilfered by Alabama and Auburn and, and all those other big-time SEC schools. Whereas Oregon, Oregon might be harder. Maybe it's harder to recruit to, but you also have the mystique of it. So I think it's a good fit. I think it makes sense. I'm just surprised that he left Oregon so quickly. So, but good for Miami. Good. Uh, I, I think college football is better when Miami's good and they haven't, they haven't been really good in a while. So Brent Venables, we'll talk about him in Oklahoma. This was a smart hire. Now who knows if Brent Venables will actually be a good head coach, but obviously he can recruit defense. You know, the defense at Clemson has been a mainstay for the past several years uh, as he's been the defensive coordinator. Uh, he's a Broyles Award winner. 
and he knows the culture at Oklahoma. That's something I'm going to keep harping on is if a coach understands the culture, that's going to become very important in a few minutes. But Oklahoma was there from 1999 to 2011 at Oklahoma. He served under Bob Stoops. He, Bob Stoops. He won a national championship as an assistant at Oklahoma as a co-defensive coordinator. Obviously, he won, an, he won two national championships at Clemson. I think this is a really good hire. He understands the culture. He's a defensive mind, and that's going to help him not just with recruiting and knowing the area, but it's going to be helpful as Oklahoma transitions to the SEC. So I, I think it's a really good hire for Oklahoma. I think he's going to be there for a while. So good, good for Brent Venables. It, it's a good, good promotion. So good job by the Sooners to get him. We're going to talk about Marcus Freeman taking the Notre Dame job. He's promoted from within. He was the Notre Dame defensive coordinator only one year there, but he was a, a main or he was a big time hire by Notre Dame last year from Cincinnati. One of the hottest names in coaching for college football. And we'll see. He's a little, he's obviously unproven. He's, I think he's only 35 years old. He was only at Notre Dame for one year, but you can tell the players love him. Like if you look at any of the clips of him accepting the, the head coaching job, you know, his, these players are psyched to play for Marcus Freeman. And my prediction for Marcus Freeman is he will do better at Notre Dame than, uh, I'm forgetting Brian Kelly, then Brian Kelly will do it at LSU. Quite honestly, might not be that hard, but I think Marcus Freeman, I think there's a real possibility that Marcus Freeman elevates Notre Dame to not just playoff contender in terms of getting into the playoff, but possibly winning a playoff game. I think Notre Dame might go into Columbus week one and beat Ohio state next year. Like, I think, I think this is a, it's a sensational hire. I think the potential is limitless for Marcus Freeman. The Irish, I think are a, I think, I think Brian Kelly was short-sighted in leaving Notre Dame, but I think Marcus Freeman will, will elevate that program. He's a good, he's a, he's, he was a great coordinator. I think the defense improved throughout the year for Notre Dame. He's a great recruiter. Uh, and the, the staff is, is sticking with him. So I think this is going to be a really, really good fit for the fighting Irish. So good for him. I'm really proud of Marcus Freeman. He's a, he's a former Buckeye. So excited for him, excited for, to see what he does. Uh, Brent Pry at Virginia tech. Again, I think this is a, a really good fit. He has a lot of connections throughout the the eastern seaboard he's a he's a blue collar guy i think virginia tech is a blue collar program so i i think this is a, a good a good fit but i think it's he's he's climbing uphill justin fuente did not leave that program in good shape and i'm just not sure I, i'm curious to see how brent pry does at elevating this program or not like or is he does he get them past the six and six seven and five seasons or can he get them beyond that and get them back to nine ten eleven win seasons and contending for acc championships so 
excited for Brent Pry. He's a, he was a great coordinator for, for Penn State. Now, here's, here's the one that I think makes absolutely no sense. Brian Kelly at LSU. CBS graded this an A. I think it's an F. I think it's absolutely an F. He has never coached in the South. He has never coached in a conference like the SEC. He's never had to deal with, honestly, really good coaches year in and year out. I know the talent level at LSU is probably a little bit better than Notre Dame. He's got to play Alabama and Texas A&M and Auburn and Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Arkansas every year. And I think he's going to get exposed because he's got to deal with Jimbo Fisher. He's got to deal with Lane Kiffin. He's got to deal with Sam Pittman at Arkansas. And he's got to deal with this, 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 you know, small time coach named Nick Saban, you know, nobody, nobody big. Oh, then, and then he might have crossover games with uh, Georgia or Florida. (laughs) And he's not a genuine Southerner. Brian Kelly is a good coach. So please don't hear me saying that he is a bad coach, but coaching is as in, in college is as much fit as it is X's and O's because you got to recruit and Brian Kelly, you know, lots being made out of the whole fake Southern accent that he, he put on at LSU uh, at the LSU basketball game. But here's the thing. The reason why Coach Ogeron worked at LSU as, as little as it worked, it worked because he was, he was genuine about the culture. Now, Coach Ogeron, was a, he's a bad football coach. <laughs> he, he's a terrible coach. But his players loved him. And those families loved him. You go back and watch Joe Burrow's Heisman speech, like you can tell how much Joe Burrow loved coach Ogeron. Like guys are already transferring out of LSU. Big time players are transferring out of LSU. I, I don't think Brian Kelly lasts more than five years because I just, it's just not a good fit. He's a Northeastern guy. It's just not a good fit. And I think it's going to be a hard match for him to go toe to toe every year with the elite coaches in the SEC. So I think it's a terror. It was a terrible hire and he should, he honestly, he should have stayed put. Um, But I think Notre Dame probably actually got better. And I think, I think LSU is probably around is going to be around the same as they've been the past couple of years. Um, the, the last, or no, I'll, I'll, there's a couple other ones I want to get to here. Um, yeah, I, I'll talk about Lincoln Riley last. Billy Napier is taking over at Florida. Yeah, he was uh, the architect of uh, the Louisiana resurgence, uh, 39 and 12, 
in four seasons with the Rage and Cajuns. He's a Southern guy. Uh, he can recruit. He was recruiting well at Louisiana. And so the fact that he's coming into Florida with that ability to recruit the South, again, fit, fit. I think that's a good, a, a good place for him. He also, honestly, the East, aside from Georgia, is not all that great. Right, like Kentucky was in the top 25. And the only reason why Kentucky was really in the top 25 this year is because everybody else in the SEE stinks. So I, I think Billy Napier has a, a really easy pathway to challenge for the SEC East in the next couple in the next year or two. So really good hire, I think, by Florida, really good fit for Billy Napier. The the let me let me talk about Lincoln Riley here to end uh to end this segment and then I'll I'll just talk about bowl picks for a minute or preview the holiday season and a few other notes when I saw that Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for USC I I was shocked and I said that on the other podcast and I, I think I just kind of gave you my off-the-cuff thoughts I was shocked because Oklahoma I thought made some was making some strides i know they struggled this year but i was like i i think you know i don't know when oklahoma is transitioning to transitioning to the sec i don't think it's in next year um i have to check that so i'm sorry i didn't i didn't check that before this but i thought he was going to get oklahoma to a place where they could compete in the sec week in and week out i thought they were already getting to that point you know the way that they're recruiting I thought their defense was starting to improve. Obviously, Lincoln Riley has just a great uh, acumen for developing quarterbacks and having great offense. So I thought this year was more of a blip. But the more I think about Lincoln Riley at USC, the more I think this is maybe the best move of his career. And I think SC hit just a massive home run. I mean, massive home run. USC is a playoff contender immediately. Because for one, the Pac-12 is very much up in the air, right? Like Oregon and, you know, Oregon has pieces that they've recruited well, but they didn't even win the Pac-12 this year. Utah did. And I'm sorry, I, I like Utah. USC has recruited better than Utah over the past several years. And so it's not like Utah is this Mecca in the, in the PAC 12 that that's unbeatable. So USC already has talent, but here's the thing. They've been losing out on a lot of talent. You look at the top three quarterbacks in the 2020 class, Bryce Young, DJ Uyunglele, and CJ Stroud all from California and they go to Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state. Guess where they're going to stay now. They're going to stay in Southern Cal. You see it already in the transfer portal. Like I think Spencer Rattler is going to USC. Um, a bunch of other Oklahoma players are transferring from Oklahoma to USC. Ohio state was in on uh, the branch brothers, Zion, Zion and Zachariah branch. Uh, one of them was a five-star receiver, Zachariah. And of course, Brian Hartline at Ohio State has been recruiting five-star receivers like it's nobody's business. As soon as Lincoln Riley got hired, the crystal ball switched all to USC. 
like Lincoln Riley is the wizard that's going to resurrect USC. And it's going to happen almost overnight. Like I would not be surprised if in August, when I'm doing my preseason picks for next year, I have USC in my top four preseason. It is a, it was a brilliant move by Lincoln Riley. And it was a brilliant move by USC's administrative staff, uh, their, their athletic director. It was a great, great hire, not just because of Lincoln Riley, but because of what he brings and what he can offer combined with the local talent in that state. So great hire. Pac-12's in trouble. USC, I think, is, is a good hire. And, and just as, as one last thought here, again, I think Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma is further evidence that, that Oklahoma should have never decided to go to the SEC. Because if Brent, Brent Venables doesn't work out, I think he'll do well. But if he doesn't work out at Oklahoma, guess what? Oklahoma's going to tank. Because they're going to be in the same conference with Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, Florida, like all these teams. And if Oklahoma starts tanking, they're in trouble. Just like Texas is in, is in, it's going to take a while for Texas to have any possibility of getting back into the elite status because they're going to a conference where they're, they're not going to be in the top half. They're going to be in the bottom half for at least the first couple of years. And so I, th- I thought from the beginning that move to the SEC was a dumb one for Oklahoma and Texas. I get the money. The money makes sense. But from, a, from an athletic perspective, from a competitive pers- perspective, it was an absolute terrible move that not only screwed themselves over, it screwed the entire Big 12 over. Um, so good for Texas and Oklahoma being greedy. I just can't believe it. I think Lincoln Riley made a, a really good move. And I, you know, I feel bad for Sooner fans. Um, I, I think they got a good coach in Brent Venables, but Lincoln Riley going to USC, I think is a match made in heaven. And I think Riley's going to make them good overnight. So those, that's, those are some of my thoughts. I know there's other coaching hires, but I'm just not going to get into the, I, I don't really, if I'm honest, I don't really care about Sonny Dykes at TCU or Kalen De, DeBoer at, Washington they're good hires um but right now they're pretty mediocre programs so whatever um just let me give you a few few things I'm I'm gonna try to do bowl picks for every game some of them will be less informed than others so I'll just I'll just be honest about that um but I will I'm gonna I'm gonna do a lot of research particularly on the big 10 games um I will have at least one podcast a week where I cover the, the bowl games of that week. I might drop a second, maybe even a third uh, on certain weeks because of just reactions to things or a reaction to a game, things like that. But I'll at least do one podcast a week. Um, I'll try to have a Thursday pod with the uh, bowl games for this upcoming week. They're the first game, I believe is Friday. I think it's, I think Toledo, uh, maybe mid Tennessee state. I forget the game. Um, but I'll have that up on Thursday with the first week's worth of bowl games. Uh, and I'll, I'll make picks on all those. 
Uh, I'll do a recap reaction after the New Year's Six. I'm not going to do one right after the semifinals uh, because just just to be honest, I'm I I'm not going to work on New Year's Day. So sorry, guys. Um, but th- there will be a recap, a reaction video after the New Year's Six games. I'll make sure to pick the the national championship game, uh, and then after that, there will be a, a probably an immediate recap of the national championship along with uh, my way too early top twenty five and power rankings for next year. A couple other notes. I'm just just so people know if you're listening, I'm gonna actually be off social media completely starting January first. Um, I'm gonna be off social media at least for six months. Um, but I will do an update of the podcast at least once a week um, during the off season. Uh, I'll probably try to keep it Tuesday mornings. Um, and then if there's a bonus episode, it'll probably be later, either Thursday or Friday. But we're going to do some fun things. We'll talk about recruiting. We'll talk about the future of the sport. We'll talk about name, image, and likeness stuff. We'll talk about playoff expansion. I hope to have maybe some guests on here to talk about some of those things. Uh, one idea I also have during the off season is I want to talk about this idea I've had. It's can your big 10 team actually ever win a national championship? And if so, how do they get there? And it might be a little crazy. It might be a little weird, but I, you know, I'm thinking maybe every team I'll kind of run through it uh, from Rutgers to Ohio state you know, can your team win a national championship and how do you get there? So um, that's, that's an idea I have. We'll see. We'll see uh, how I think about it. um, If we can, if we can get that off the ground, but if you guys have ideas, let me know. Uh, Let me know in comments and in the reviews. I'd love to know what you guys think, but that's it for the big 10 football talk podcast. This is Zach Guggenheim signing off. Take care and God bless.